If you have a Bible with you, let me encourage you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. We have many of the verses on the screen this morning. Back a little over a week ago, my daughter Mary Beth and her family came to visit. And when they were heading back to Charlotte from the visit, she did what she normally does when she comes to visit. She went by the cemetery to visit the grave of our, of our son who passed away this past year. This was the first time that she took Noah, our four-year-old grandson, to the cemetery. Now, initially, Noah was really excited because he loved his Uncle Josh. But then he got confused because he thought he was going to see Josh. And so he asked his mom, he said, Mom, are, are we going to be able to, to see Uncle Josh? And she said, well, no, we're not going to be able to see him because he's not there. His, his soul is with Jesus in heaven, but his, his body is, is there. He said, well, can we dig to Uncle Josh? <laughs> and she said, no, no, we can't dig to Uncle Josh. We'll be able to see him again when we go to heaven and we go to be with Jesus. And then he said, well, do we have to die on a cross like Jesus to go to heaven? Out of the mouths of little children. Little did Noah know, but what he said was good theology. In Romans 6, we are told that our old sinful nature has been crucified with Christ on the cross. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, we read this. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet it's not I, but it's Christ that lives in me. Last week, we started a two-part series looking at the gospel. The Bible says this, the gospel is the power of God to save everyone who believes. In 1 Corinthians 15, we are told what the gospel is. Paul said this, this is the gospel. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he rose again on the third day, just as the scriptures said. Last week, we looked at the first part of the gospel, the cross, the, the death of Christ. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says the cross is foolish to those who don't believe. But to those who are being saved, it is the very power of God. But today on Easter Sunday, I want us to look at the resurrection. Because the truth of the matter is, if Jesus died and he was buried and he stayed dead, then we wouldn't be saved. You see, the message that saves, the message that gives hope, the message that changes our life is this. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried, but he rose again on the third day. You see, without the resurrection, we would be without hope. Without the resurrection, there wouldn't be any good news. The truth of the matter is the gospel hangs on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If there were not a resurrection, then Jesus is either lunatic or he's a liar, but he is not Lord. If there is no resurrection, then death is the end. We have no hope for eternal life. If there is no resurrection, then you and I are still caught up in the bondage of our sin and we have no way to escape our sin. But the good news is there is a resurrection. That's why we're here today. And because of the resurrection, whoever you are, 
Whatever you've done, wherever you may be in your spiritual journey, there is good news for you. And so this morning, as we, as we unpack 1 Corinthians 15, I want you to discover four truths that I believe God can use to literally change your life regardless of where you are in your spiritual journey. Now here's truth number one. Because of the resurrection, our faith has a foundation. Because of the resurrection, our faith has a firm foundation. Listen to what it says in verse 17. The today's English version says it this way. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is a delusion. That, that's what many people believe about those of us who believe in the resurrection. They believe that we are delusional. They believe that we are confused. They believe that we Christians are prone to believing fantasies and fairy tales. That word translated delusion is translated this way in other places. Useless, worthless, pointless, futile. The word literally means empty, devoid of truth, a lie. In other words, if there is no resurrection, then our message is worthless. Our message is empty. And what we're doing here this morning is a waste of time. But Paul goes further than that. He says, if there is no resurrection, we have been lied to. But then he goes even further than that. In verse 15, he says this, if there is no resurrection, we apostles would all be lying about God. This is important. Paul was saying if there is no resurrection, it's not that we were misinformed. It's not that we were misguided. It's not that we were confused. If there is no resurrection, we lied to you. You see, there are many people today that, that believe that, that our faith in the, in, in the resurrection takes blind faith. We take a blind leap out into the middle of nowhere. But you need to understand that, that our belief is not taking a blind leap. Our belief is based upon truth. Our belief is based upon historical evidence, and it's based upon eyewitness accounts. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 5, it says this. He, Jesus, was seen by Peter, then by the twelve after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James, later by all the apostles, last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time. I also saw him. Paul says, if you don't believe what I say about the resurrection, there are 500 other people that you can ask. Look them up. Find them. Question them. And determine for yourself whether the resurrection is real or not. Because there are eyewitnesses. Years ago when, when I lived in the upstate, I was, I was headed from Union to Spartanburg to visit the hospital. And on the way I went through this, this major intersection. And, and as I went through a red light, the light was turning yellow. I, I went through the yellow light. And as I passed through the yellow light, a car turned right and hit me in the back of my car. Well, we stopped. The police came. They questioned us. And then the police gave me a ticket. They gave me a ticket. 
The longer I thought about it, the more frustrated I got because if I was going through a yellow light, the car that turned and hit me was turning on a red light. And so after I left the hospital, I, I, I went back to some of the businesses that were on both sides of the street and, and I asked the people, did you see this accident that happened this morning? And, and I found several people that saw the accident and I said, would you be willing to give a sworn statement that this person turned on a red light? And they did. And I went to court. I presented the evidence from the eyewitnesses and the ticket was dismissed. The ticket was dismissed because of the evidence. There were eyewitnesses who saw what happened. The Bible says that there are over 500 eyewitnesses who saw Jesus after he was nailed to a cross, after he died a cruel death, after he was buried in a tomb. And what you need to understand is many of these eyewitnesses, they died cruel, agonizing deaths. Some were crucified. Some were thrown off tall buildings, some were stoned, some were fed to lions, all saying Jesus is alive. You need to understand these early Christians weren't like us. You, you see, we believe based upon what we have read, we believe based upon what we've been told. They believed based upon what they saw with their own eyes. They saw and they believed. It's not that they thought Jesus was alive. They knew Jesus was alive. Because they interacted with him after he came back from the dead. You see, our faith is based upon eyewitness accounts. Our faith is based upon historical evidence. And so if you're here today and you're a cynic, you're a, a skeptic, you're a questioner, you're a doubter, and you are an open, honest cynic. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, there are some people that doubt and question that are closed-minded. They say, well, I don't believe this resurrection stuff. But they're not willing to examine the evidence for themselves. But if you're here and you're an open-minded cynic, you're an open-minded skeptic, I encourage you, examine the evidence for yourself. And when you do, I am convinced that you will come away believing that this Jesus who was born in Bethlehem, who died on a cross outside of Jerusalem, who was buried in a borrowed tomb, did indeed come back to life, and he is the Son of God, God in the flesh, who paid for our sins. You see, our faith has a firm foundation. So I would encourage you to quit doubting, quit questioning, and start believing. But not only because of the resurrection does our, our faith have a firm foundation. We see in this passage that because of the resurrection, my failures aren't fatal. Now, Paul was probably more thankful for this than anybody in the world. Because it says in verse 9, Paul said, I am not even worthy to be called an apostle. I persecuted the church. You see, Paul was not only uninterested in the gospel. Paul was opposed to the gospel to the point that he went through the Roman country arresting Christians, putting them to death because they believed. But then 
through the grace of God, he encountered the resurrected Lord and it changed everything. Paul says in verse 10, I am what I am because of the grace of God. The persecutor of the church became the missionary of the church, all by the grace of God. Listen, your failures don't have to be fatal. I don't know what you've done. I don't know where you've been. I don't know how far you've fallen. But hear me, your failures don't have to be fatal because of the grace of God, because of the resurrection. Paul said this later on in verse 17. He said, and if Christ has not been raised, you're still guilty of your sins. There is no grace. Because of the resurrection, there is grace. And Paul's not the only one who needs God's grace. We all do. I mean, it doesn't take a social scientist to know that our world is in trouble. It doesn't take a social scientist to realize that the human race is flawed. I mean, we are a flawed race of people. Some of us may be more flawed than others, but we are all flawed. At the very core of who we are, we lie, we cheat, we steal, we kill, we spread gossip, we say mean things, we love to hear juicy nuggets about other people's failures all the time, excusing ours. We're flawed people. And the Bible calls that flaw sin. It says all have sinned, all have fallen short of God's standard. The Bible says no one, not even one is good. Sometimes the Bible calls our flaws trespasses, which means we've stepped over the line God has drawn in the sand. Sometimes the Bible calls our flaws rebellion, meaning we've broken God's laws. Sometimes the Bible calls our flaws not measuring up. We've fallen short. We, we haven't hit the target that God has given us. But here's what you need to understand. The Bible makes it clear that we are all flawed. Now, some people think that somehow, some way, we're going to get progressively better. But I would say that's foolish. It's not being honest. It hasn't happened yet. So why should we think if over thousands of years the human race hasn't gotten better, how could we possibly think that somehow, some way, over the next thousand years, it's going to get better? You see, the reason that we're never going to get better is because our problem is not behavioral. Our problem is our heart. At the very core of who we are, our hearts are dirty. Our hearts are sinful. In Ecclesiastes, it says it this way. It says, the hearts of men are full of evil. Jeremiah said, the heart is the most deceitful of all things. It is desperately wicked. Jesus said, from the heart... Come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, lying, slander. You see, we need a new heart. And the only one that can give us a new heart is Jesus. Social engineering will never solve our problems. A, a new world order will never solve our problems. More opportunities will never solve our problems. Because what we need is a new heart. And the only one who can give us a new heart is Jesus. And the only way we can get that new heart is through the resurrection. You see, the Bible says that Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose from the grave. And then it says this, In the same way, 
You and I have died to sin. The old life has been buried with him. But he has raised us to live a new life. You see, God does for us through the resurrection what we could never do on our own. He gives us a new heart. So our sins can be forgiven. We can be given a fresh start. We can be given a new beginning. I, I, I don't know where you are this morning. But here's what I know. We're all flawed. We all need forgiveness. And apart from Jesus, our failures will be fatal. Because of the resurrection, our failures aren't fatal. Because of the resurrection, our faith has a firm foundation. But third... Because of the resurrection, our pain has a purpose. Now, none of us like pain. We avoid it at all costs, don't we? But as believers, we know that our pain can have a purpose. In Romans 8, it says it this way. It says, all things work together for good to those who love the Lord, who are called according to His purpose. All things. Not just the good things, but the bad things. Not just the blessings from God, but the sufferings of this world. All things things work together for good the painful things in our life physically emotionally mentally I mean how could good come out of depression and, and mental illness I don't have a clue but here's what I know for those of us who love Jesus all things work together for good and we may not understand it this side of eternity but hear me God takes everything and can bring good out of it how, how can a child being born with, a, with an illness, with a birth defect, how, how can someone being struck down with a debilitating illness or injury, how, how can someone be stricken with cancer, how can those things be good? I don't know. But I do know that, that good can come from all things because all things can work together for good, even the bad. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. In, in verse 19 he says, and, and if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Uh, what does he mean by that? I mean, if, if there is no resurrection, why are we to be pitied more than other people? Well, the reason is because of how we live our life. You see, those of us who believe in the resurrection, those of us who have placed our trust in Jesus are willing to lay it all on the line because we believe that the resurrection is the world's only hope. That's why Paul said in, in verse 29 and following, he said, if the dead will not be raised, why should we ourselves risk our lives hour by hour? For I swear, dear brothers and sisters, that I face death daily. And what value was there in fighting wild beasts, those people of Ephesus, if, if there will be no resurrection from the dead? And if there is no resurrection, let's feast and let's drink, for tomorrow we will die. See, those of us who have discovered the power and the hope that the resurrection brings are willing to do crazy things, dangerous things, so that those who have not yet experienced the hope of the resurrection, those who have not yet experienced the power of the resurrection, can experience that same hope and that same power that we've experienced. Paul talked about fighting the wild beast in, in Ephesus. Well, we know that the Romans used wild beasts to torture Christians for sport. Christians were fed to the lions. Christians were tied to stakes. And, 
and wild dogs were sick on them. But I don't think that this is talking about literal animals in this passage. I think it's talking about people, people who oppose the gospel and will do anything to keep the gospel from being spread. And there are people like that. And so why? Why would, why would a family, why would a family uproot themselves and, and go halfway around the world and, and live in some God-forsaken place far from their family members, far from friends, where, where things are difficult and hard and even dangerous? Why would someone do that? Because of the resurrection. That's why. Because our pain has a purpose. Here's what I know. I know that many of the great movements of God throughout human history began with pain, began with persecution, began with opposition, but God used that for His purpose and His glory. Some of you young people here this morning, I'm convinced with all my heart that God is calling some of you to go overseas, to, to some of these God-forsaken, unreached places. Some of these places that are difficult and dangerous, God is calling you. And some of you parents, you're going to be asking your kids, why? Why in the world? Some of your friends are going to be asking, why in the world, with, with, all, of, with all of your abilities, with all of your education, why would you go somewhere difficult and dangerous and risk your life? And you can say, because the pain has a purpose. You see, we don't live our life for this world. We're living our life for something far greater. That's why Paul said, if there is no resurrection, shoot, let's just eat and drink. Have a good time. Because tomorrow we're all going to die and we're going to turn back to dust. But there is a resurrection. Because there is a resurrection, we invest our life and we lay it all on the line and we give our all for the sake of the gospel. Our pain has a purpose. But finally, because of the resurrection, my goodbyes aren't forever. Listen to what Paul said beginning in verse 17. He says, And if Christ has not been raised, then all who have died believing in Christ are lost. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. All of us at one time or another are going to lose someone we love. We're going to say goodbye to someone that we care about. That's part of living in a body that is dying. We all are going to have that happen. But because of the resurrection, we can have hope in the midst of death. This Easter, this truth means more to me than ever before. You who are part of the Northside family know that a little over 10 months ago, my 25-year-old my son, Joshua, passed away unexpectedly, suddenly. He died of a massive brain aneurysm. I got to tell you, I struggled with that. Not struggling with his death, but I struggled because Josh was not living for Jesus when he died. And we had a lot of conversations. We even had some arguments about that. He was even texting me the, the, the night before he died. And we text back and forth a lot. So I struggled with, with this. I, I struggled with it when he was alive, and I struggled with it when he died. Now, now Josh made a decision for Christ when he was younger. And, and he never doubted who God was. He never doubted what Jesus did on the cross. But he wasn't living for him. Uh, Josh 
at one point said he wanted to be a preacher. And when he was four years old, he, he preached a message about one minute in church. We've got it on video. Some of you wish I could do that one minute. Josh was the first one who told his younger brother Matthew about Jesus. And yet, because Josh was not living for Jesus, I struggled. Now, Sherry didn't. Sherry always had a firm hope that Josh was with Jesus, that Josh was saved. But I struggled. I struggled because he wasn't living for the Lord. I, I wanted that same firm hope that she had. And God would bring people into my life that would, that would speak words of affirmation to me that I believe probably came from God. But I still struggled with these things. But Sherry didn't. Two weeks ago, Sherry came to our 915 service and she worshipped here at 915. Then she got in her car and she headed to our west campus to listen to our son John preach at 11 o'clock. And on the way, she was thinking about Josh. It was the 10-month anniversary of, of his passing away. And, and as she was thinking about Josh, she was thanking God for how God had always confirmed time after time in a number of ways that, that Josh was with Jesus. And as she was riding down the road, a Jeep passed her, and she looked up, and the Jeep had a spare tire on the back of it. On the spare tire was a cover, and on the cover... What was a, was a statement that said something like this. Not everyone who wanders is lost. Not everyone who wanders is lost. And I thought about the prodigal son and how the prodigal son was a member of the, the family. His father loved him, never stopped loving him, but he walked away squandered everything he had the father still loved him Sherry got home and I got home and a little bit later that evening we had the opportunity to sit down and talk and she told me about that for the very first time and as she told me about that Jeep and it passing and what it said I just started crying but I wasn't crying tears of sorrow I was crying tears of joy because I was saying, God, I can trust you. I can trust you. I don't have to grieve like those who have no hope. In, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says this, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring him with them with him all the believers who have died and at that moment as Sherry and I were talking the tears were just coming down my face I had this picture of Josh and Josh had this big toothy goofy grin and I just pictured that grin on Josh's face and I pictured going into heaven and seeing him for that very first time and seeing that big toothy grin and, and I heard him say I beat you <laughs> and then it was as if I could, I could see him just come up to me and hug me and in that moment say I'm sorry 
saw him. I looked at him and hugged him and just said, I'm glad you're home. I'm glad you're home. You see, because of the resurrection, the best is yet to come. It says this in 1 Corinthians, The eye hath not seen, neither has the ear heard, neither has it entered into the mind of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. You and I can't imagine what God has prepared for us, and it's all based on the resurrection. The best is yet to come. And it would be tragic if any of us here this morning miss out on it. Because the Bible says this is good, this is pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved to come to a knowledge of the truth. God wants you saved. Jesus died for you. So don't miss heaven. Don't miss Jesus. If you're having doubts, if you're having questions, look at the evidence. You'll be convinced. If you're struggling with guilt and shame, turn it over to Jesus. He'll forgive you. He'll give you a new life. Don't leave here without Jesus. I want you to bow your head with me. I want you to close your eyes with me. And with every head bowed, with every eye closed, if, if you're here today and and you know that you've never truly trusted Jesus to save you, if you're here and you've never given your heart and life to Jesus, then I want to encourage you right where you are to just pray this prayer to God with a sincere and humble heart. Dear God, I come to you this morning humbly asking you to forgive me so sorry for all my sins for my rebellion Jesus I know you love me I believe you died on the cross and you rose from the grave so that I could be forgiven and set free today I'm trusting you to save me today I'm giving my life to you. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Make me new. Change me from the inside out. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me. Thank you for saving me.